So we are going to talk about peace. We're going to get to that in just a second. We want to talk about a couple of other things first. And before we do any of that, let's pray. God, is a season of expectation, season of waiting and watching, season of longing. We bring all of that expectation and that waiting, the watching, the longing to you. For in the end, it is you we long for. It's your presence we expect. It is your kingdom we wait and watch for. So grant us now a vision of what that future may be. In Christ's name, amen. So we live, I think, in a world, uh, you, by the way, you can turn your phones off now and your flashlights if you haven't already. We live in a world, I think, of maybes. Um, it starts early. It's our most common response to our children, right? Maybe. Mom, can I have a sleepover with my friends Friday night? Maybe. Dad, can we go to the beach this weekend? Maybe. Mimi, can I have a cookie? Well, in fairness, if you ask Mimi for a cookie, it's yes. <laughs> Mom or Dad, can I have a cookie? Maybe. The maybes carry over into our adult lives, don't they? Will there be a recession? Maybe. Will we ever get out of all these wars that we're in? Maybe. Will I get a raise or a promotion eventually? Maybe. Will there be health care when I'm old? Maybe. We live, we live with maybes. We live with a um, future that is uncertain and a future that we cannot control that's somehow beyond us. So when your pastors um, met back in, I guess it was late August probably, and we started thinking through what we wanted to share together campus-wide during Advent, we read together the lectionary readings for these four Sundays. Now today is the first Sunday of Advent, it's the first Sunday of a new church year, but even more than that, it's the first Sunday, uh, that's the cycle repeats now, the three-year cycle repeats beginning today. This is the first Sunday of the first year of the three-year cycle. And we read through these readings and we were struck by the fact that the prophet for Advent this year is Isaiah. And Isaiah, it seemed to us, no matter which translation we read, is particularly fond of the word shall. Um, so we spent some time together talking about what that meant, what that looked like, what it looks like to say there shall be. Shall is a word with some certainty. Shall is a word that is not, it goes beyond possibility and promise. Shall is a word that's a declaration. Shall is an imperative of something. When you say something shall be, you are declaring the future of it before it even happens. When you say something shall be, you're, you're being very distinct and very affirming of something you can't even see yet that you might be anticipating. It's lost, I think, some of its um, power for us because it's not a word we use in American English much anymore. We use will most of the time rather than shall. But shall means something carries a connotation even deeper than will. So when we, when we looked at that, we looked at the shalls that Isaiah talks about for these four weeks, and they're here on the screen. There shall be peace, justice, joy. There shall be a sign. And we, we thought that perhaps what we might do as a church family across all of the communities this year is lean into that shall. What does that future that God promises us look like? And we're, we're going to begin that today. But before we do that, though, I want to suggest to you that if we're going to do that, we need to rethink Advent a little bit. 
we need to treat Advent in a little bit of a different way than the, than the normal way we treat it. Advent, for most of us, is just the countdown clock. It's just, I mean, today's December 1st. You've got 23 days left before Christmas Eve. It's just where we are. And I don't know how it is for you. It's a busy time for most of us, I suspect. It's a hurried time. The calendar fills. It doesn't empty. At our house, we do this. You probably do it yours, we say, every year, sometime around September, October. This year is going to be the year that we're really going to slow down and enjoy Advent and Christmas. And then we get to, like, January the 10th and go, what, what happened? That didn't happen again. And you get busy, right? You're planning parties. You're planning um, gatherings you're planning food you're doing shopping you're thinking of the friends you want to see you're thinking of the acquaintances you don't want to disappoint the things that you have to do at work you're thinking about the extracurricular things you want to do that the triangle is full of that the messiah sings the 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 christmas carol the the nut all these things you want to do fill your calendar fill your time and we get busy and we're busy and we're focused on december 25th we're focused on this celebration of the birth of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and we, we get caught up in the sentiment of this baby and the birth of Jesus. And it, it leads us into these culture wars that we get into because the culture has taken Christmas a little bit away from the church, and it's trying to pull Advent a little bit away from the church. And so we get into these culture wars, and argue, do we say happy holidays or Merry Christmas? And this just lights up your social media page like nobody's business. Um, do we boycott Starbucks because they use a particular kind of cup that we think is very pagan? And if we're going to do that, if we're going to boycott Starbucks for that, then do we also boycott the grocery stores that sell us the, ready for this, Advent wine-a-day calendars? That's taking Advent away from us a little bit. Um, it's just becomes, my hometown recently went through a very public and very painful conversation because... The, uh, the, the sponsors chose to rename the parade the holiday parade rather than the Christmas parade. And it just went nuts all over the town. They went back to Christmas parade. We, we do this every year, right? Because we focus this on what we think we're leaning into. And I want to suggest to you there's a different way to look at Advent. And it makes a difference if we're going to talk about the prophet Isaiah these next four weeks. And this different way to look at Advent is to understand that we are not simply looking back at something. Advent is inviting us to look ahead to something. Something that we haven't grasped yet. Something that hasn't come to us yet. But something that we believe will come. So the late Peter Gomes was a preacher. He had one of the greatest titles. I mean, I loved his title. His title was plumber, professor of Christian morals, and posy minister in the Memorial Church at Harvard University. Wouldn't you love to have that on your business card? I mean, that's, that's a great title. And several years ago, on the first Sunday in Advent, he began a sermon talking about this. And I wanted to share with you, because he says it far better than I could. He says this, I'm going to ask you to do a very difficult thing and that is to forget all the seasonal trappings that surround you and seduce you into thinking that Advent has anything all to do with, with Christmas as you and I understand it. I wish there was a way I could make this all disappear. I want you to clear away all of the let's get ready for Christmas stuff, all of this manufactured cheer and happy expectation of something that once happened. Clear the decks, rather, and get ready for something that has not yet happened. 
for that is the agenda of the entire season of Advent. The Lord is coming, not in retrospect, not in a rehearsal of things that happened once long ago. The Lord is coming in a way and in a form that we have not yet experienced. We wait for that which we have not yet seen. We work for that which has not yet been accomplished. That is the Advent agenda. It's the Advent that we mark when we say at the communion table in a few minutes, what? Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. It's the Advent that looks for the fulfilling of the kingdom. And it looks for fulfilling of the kingdom that comes from beyond us, that comes from God in ways that we could not make happen if we tried on our own. And that's where we find Isaiah's first shall. His first shall comes to us very early in the book. It's in the second chapter. Now this is the Isaiah, I want to remind you, this is the Isaiah, the part of the book of Isaiah that's written before the exile. This is the part of Isaiah written while Israel and Judah are still kingdoms. They've not been overrun by the Babylonians or the Assyrians and they still, they still have capitals and are kingdoms and live as independent nations. So if, if you've ever read Isaiah 1, um, God bless you. If you've never read Isaiah 1, let me tell you something that you probably will not hear me say very often. You may not want to read Isaiah 1. Isaiah 1 is not a cheerful chapter of the Bible. It's not, it's, if you're in a bad mood or you're down, it's not going to improve your disposition at all. Isaiah 1 is all about murder and rebellion and injustice and corruption. Basically, Isaiah 1 is the nightly news. And immediately after that, we get this unexpected thing. Immediately after all of this despair and gloom, we get this shall. We get this vision of a different word. Hear the reading from Isaiah 2, verses 1 to 5. The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills. All the nations shall stream to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come let us walk in the light of the Lord. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. There's nothing to prepare you for that sudden shift from murder and rebellion and injustice and corruption to beating swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. There's nothing in our experience or in the experience of Israel that would have led you to believe that the past and the present could envision that kind of future. That kind of future has to come from somewhere else. That kind of future has to be generated outside of us and beyond us. That kind of future, the prophet Isaiah says, shall come from God. And because it comes from God, it is as good as done. It's a declaration of what will be, not a hunch, not a guess, not a maybe. People shall come to Mount Zion, he says. People shall stream to her, and nations shall not lift up sword against nation anymore. It's a, it's a big screen vision at first. Um, it's a cosmic vision. He talks about the nations. 
uh, you, you, um, you know from your own experience that seeing something on the big screen is very different than seeing something on a smaller screen. You go to a movie and you see it in the movie theater on the big screen and it's one experience and then you watch it on a streaming service at home later, it's a, it's a whole different experience. It loses a little something in that translation. Isaiah talks about a big screen thing. He's talking about the whole creation, the whole universe being at peace. He talks about Mount Zion being the highest of the mountains, which is just pure hyperbole. There's nothing Everest-like about Mount Zion. It's not that tall, and yet in the theological understanding of Zion, it is the highest of the mountains, and all peoples will come to it to learn the ways of God. And then he says there will be peace. And notice when he talks about peace, when he talks about war being ended, he says the instruments of war will become the instruments of agriculture and harvest. It's another way of saying that when war is gone, all of the things that war brings with it, hunger, displacement, refugee, famine, sickness, when war is gone, they will be gone too. There will be, Isaiah suggesting, shalom. The Hebrew word for peace, which means a wholeness and a restoration of the creation to what God intended it to be. Now, what is big screen can also be small screen. And he, he talks in that teaching about we will come that we may learn the ways of the Lord. In other words, the peace which is being offered um, to the whole creation is being offered to each of us as well. It's not just cosmic big screen, it's for our screens, it's for our lives. And as we suggested uh, with the video, it gives us a chance to pause and ask ourselves, what would be peace to us this Advent? What would bring quiet and calm to us? What would create in us the space, with all the busy and hurry and craziness around us, what would create in us the space to accept the gifts God has to offer us? What would peace feel like to you? What would be peaceful for you? What is the gift that you need? What's the fullness of life that you're lacking? What does peace look like? One of the, one of the reasons I think we struggle with this is that we tend to think of peace as the absence of something. If there is no conflict, then there is peace. But for the Bible, peace is not simply the absence of something. Peace is the fullness of something. Peace is wholeness. Particularly in the Old Testament, when they use that word shalom, they mean a wholeness and a fullness of life that's good life for everyone. Frederick Buechner in Wishful Thinking writes that peace is everything you need to be holy and happily yourself. And then he continues and says, the contradiction is resolved when you realize that for Jesus, peace seems to have meant not the absence of struggle, but the presence of love. So it's the first Sunday in Advent 2019, and there's a lot of crazy going on around us, and there's probably a good bit of crazy going on inside of us. As we come today, we hear the prophets say, there shall be there shall be peace. The day will come when there will be peace in the world, when 
Swords will be beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. And the day will come when there will be peace within us, when the weapons that we use against ourselves, guilt and self-deception and self-judgment, will be by grace transformed into something that offers us life and lets us be happily and holy who God created us to be. And the good news is, we don't have to make that happen. We can lean our lives into it and participate in it. We can be signs of it in our lives in large and small ways so that other people can look at it and say, so that's what the kingdom may look like. But it comes to us by God and his Christ and it comes as a mark of the kingdom for which we pray every week the kingdom which we in Advent stand on tiptoe and look to the horizon and hope to see coming toward us the kingdom of peace there shall be Isaiah said there shall be peace and for that we can say thanks be to God let us pray. O oh God, into all the places where we are divided, make us whole. In all the places where we are filled with noise and confusion, bring quiet and calm. In all the places in our lives where there are conflict, bring wholeness and reconciliation. And not only in us, O oh God, but for all peoples and for your world. And we ask that in the name of the one whom we call the Prince of Peace, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.